Motion and balance. Built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. As the daylight hours get shorter and our nights become longer, it's often more difficult to keep an upbeat mood. And pile on variants of a seemingly never-ending pandemic and a myriad of other reasons, you've got to be pretty resourceful and inventive about how to cultivate and maintain your own happiness. I'm senior producer here at Well and Good, Taylor Camille, and host of this episode where we tapped two happiness experts, Helen Russell and Dr. Deepika Chopra, to understand how they define happiness, how we can stay out of entering the danger zone that is toxic positivity, and the ways in which they intentionally infuse optimism and joy into their day-to-day lives. I now firmly believe that we can all get happier by learning to be sad better because the fear of facing our sadness can feel overwhelming, but the cost of not doing so is far worse and we will all experience sadness. My name is Helen Russell. I am a journalist, author of The Year of Living Danishly and How to Be Sad, amongst others. And I am currently living in Denmark, where it is very dark and very cold. I've had to use everything in my resilience toolkit to get through. And yes, I think nine years of research into happiness and then maybe 40 years of research into sadness as well has all played a part in trying to work out how to keep going and keep feeling able to take on the day. So I think everything from what I eat to how I move to the way I interact with people to my outlook on life has changed a lot over the last few years to cope with these new demands. And I think, yeah, the last two years have put so many of us through so much more than we'd ever experienced before without many of the support networks we'd usually rely on. So it feels as though I'm using everything I've learned just to keep going. I know. I was talking to a friend just the other day and it's like, even those friends that you would rely on, you don't feel like you could ask them because we're all going through our own episodes of whatever. And so, yeah, literally everything that you would normally say and use. And I think that was such a test of like how to pull ourselves out of misery these past couple of years. Just accept that we were sad and accept that we weren't happy and it's okay not to be happy. So why does sadness matter and why is it as valid as happiness? For years, I think we thought that suppressing negative emotions might get us through or that we don't talk about 
can't hurt us. But now we know that the opposite is true. If we suppress our negative thoughts, we end up feeling worse. And actually, studies show that experiencing temporary sadness, allowing ourselves to sit with those feelings when they come, can counterintuitively make us happier. I think happiness is more fleeting. It's these moments of joy. And then it's also that kind of base level contentment. So happiness researchers measure happiness by asking how happy people are right now and then with their lives overall and then whether they have a sense of meaning. So like Aristotle's idea of of the good life. So there's merit in that. But I think culturally and in the media, we get this kind of Hollywood ending idea of just smiling all the time, this Disney idea of happiness. And that doesn't feel helpful because we don't all feel like that all of the time. Yet we should be able to express that when we are feeling sad. So it feels as though we've all been sold a very narrow definition of happiness, a definition that means never being sad or doing hard things or having difficult conversations, which if the last two years has taught us anything, it's that we really need those three things. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra. I am the optimism doctor. I'm also a visual imagery expert. I'm the founder of Things Are Looking Up, the brand and the optimism deck of cards. I also am the host of the Looking Up podcast. And my background is I have a doctorate in clinical health psychology, and I've been studying the science behind happiness, resiliency, and joy for the past, well, over a decade now. Happiness is a term that I think we all grow to figure out how we personally define it. But the term happiness is really sort of used in the context of mental or emotional states. And so it's really about being in an emotional state of pleasance and joy. And this can sort of be on a continuum of anywhere from satisfaction all the way up to intense joy or elation. The words that come to mind for me when I think of happiness and sort of the different types of happiness are pleasure, passion, and purpose, really. I think a lot of times people have this misconception that being optimistic is about being positive all the time. And I feel like there's this image out there when you think of optimism as someone skipping through a poppy field, wearing a bohemian dress barefoot, experiencing like the perfect day, 24 hours a day and 365 days out of the year. And to be honest, that's actually not what optimism is. Optimism is really more so about resiliency and about curiosity. As an American myself, I felt that we were dealt a very hefty order in this pandemic, dealing with emotions we may have just swept under the rug simply because we didn't know how to talk about them, nor did we have the language to do so. But now that the elephant has been in the room for many, many months, how do we make room for our valid worries, our sadness, and make sure they don't get drowned out in a chorus of everything's okay and just cheer up? I feel like that's been a a real setback for many of us, especially as we come out of pandemic, this idea that we are supposed to be feeling great all the time when actually we've experienced some losses and a lot of hurt. If we expect ourselves to be happy all the time and we're not, we're going to feel this shame again. And the whole kind of toxic mm-hmm. positivity, this idea that good vibes only, well, you know, what What if that's not the case? We've all gone through stuff. So it could be this is a perfectly natural response. Sadness is a natural response when these tough things happen and being told that we just have to get over it. Even the way we teach children about sadness, if someone says, I'm scared of the dark, you say, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, that 
negates someone's emotional experience. It teaches kids not to trust their emotions and it, and it prompts shame. Many of us have consumed a narrative that happier people are healthier, they live longer, all of this stuff. Well, actually, studies show that being sad only makes us sick if we are scared of being sad. There's been studies comparing mm. the US to Japan and they're good comparisons because they're both wealthy nations. They've both got good health care for those who can afford it. And in Japan, where there is much more cultural acceptance of sadness, being sad doesn't make you sick. But in the US, there is more of a correlation because there's more shame around feeling sad. Sadness can be awakening. It's this message. It can tell us when something is wrong and what to do about it. It makes us stop in our tracks. But it's only going to tell us what to do and give us this message if we allow it to, if we are still for long enough and listen to that message. And many of us, myself included, spend a lot of our time, I, I certainly did historically, being so busy and distracting ourselves with so many things or trying to numb out the pain we kind of had blinkers on. And that's really problematic because then we're just denying that sadness. I think of it like a beach ball underwater. You're trying to push it down all the time. It's going to pop up somewhere. So you may as well just deal with it. A lot of people believe in scheduling worry time. Have you come across this? So you decide no. rather than having something on the back burner 24 hours a day, you can decide, OK, well, this is something that is on my mind. I'm going to think about this for 20 minutes at 4 p.m., for example. And that's your worry time, which mm -hmm. always makes me think of hammer time. And I start singing MC Hammer. But it's this idea that you are then scheduling it. And it, it sounds so simple that it couldn't work. But psychologists have found that it does free up your mind to go on with your day, knowing safe in the knowledge that you will address that issue later. I think that's the number one key to really not displace your worry and not put it upon someone else or take it out is actually to be mindful of it and to get to know it as part of ourselves, normalize it, and then treat ourselves with self-compassion. You can't really go wrong if you are aware and you acknowledge you're mindful of whatever that unhappy moment is and the quality of it and where it's coming from and what it's feeling like in you. And that's how we really get to know it. So sometimes it's hard for us to cognitively figure out or navigate an unhappy emotion, but it's much easier when it is hard to sort of get a grasp on it cognitively to ask yourself like, huh, where am I feeling this in my body? That's like a good way to start and to focus on the somatic experience of it. And a lot of times it might be in our neck or we're feeling tense in our stomach. And then to work backwards and be like, and where is this coming from? When did it start? What am I feeling? And, and the more you get to know it and you're aware of it and acknowledge it, you aren't going to displace it. This idea of acknowledging and being really mindful of getting to know our unhappy moments and, you know, first acknowledging that they will exist. No one is immune to feeling sadness or unhappiness. No one is immune to setback or roadblocks or things that are less than ideal or things that are not going to go our way. That is actually as much part of being a human as, you know, happiness and things that do go our way. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. As we learned to get as comfortable with our down days as our good days, we wondered what are some of the tactics Dr. Deepika and Helen use to cultivate more happiness and identify the highlights even on our most difficult days. I would definitely suggest starting your day off with something that brings you joy. And this is not at all one of those, you know, what is your morning routine? And you read one of these articles and it's like a 10-step process of doing 10 different things that take like two hours. I don't have that type of time and I'm sure most people don't. So it's really about picking something that is doable and it's something that you can do from anywhere. So if you're traveling or you're not home, there's no obstacle to get in the way. For me particularly, I do something every single day, every morning, and I call it wake up and dance. And I know a lot of people that have been following along or listening to my own podcast or have heard me speak somewhere, they know that I do this. It's my sort of tactic that is my morning ritual. I wake up first thing I do, I roll out of bed before I talk to anyone, before I brush my teeth, before I change. I just turn on whatever music I am in the mood for. Sometimes the night before I'll write a note to myself of a song that I think of or I'll just ask myself in that moment. I turn on music and I just dance. And it can be, you know, half a song I might have time for before I need to get the kids, or I could get through three songs if I'm lucky, but it doesn't matter. I don't have any sort of like preconceived idea or any expectation. I just know that I'm going to do it. And it brings me a lot of joy. And what research really tells us is the emotional state that we're in, in the first part of our day actually greatly influences the remainder of our day. And so when you're acting or doing some sort of activity and you feel that sense of joy, jot it down in your notes section in your phone that's like things that make me happy. Because when you're in an actual moment of struggle or you know something less than ideal, it's really hard for us to remember what our tools are. And so me knowing that I have a list of activities in my notes of my phone is so helpful. I just go to it and I pick one that fits for that time. Like, what can I do right now? One of the other tools I talk about a lot, but focusing on what I've already done or achieved. And so it's this idea of making a ta-da list, I like to call it, instead of a to-do list. So it's about jotting down the things in your day that you've actually already done. And these things, it's powerful when they're small. So we don't really realize how much we're actually accomplishing and celebrating these small wins throughout our day. It really should be about this idea of like, what do you currently have today that you are experiencing in your right now present moment that you have worked so hard to get and you have, whether you want to call it, manifested it, visualized it, wanted it, and then you've worked so hard for, you've goal set, you've done all the hard work and you have it today. Like what are those things and how much of your time are you actually spending sitting in that pride for yourself and, and what you have and enjoyment of it really? Because what's really the point of working towards something if you're not necessarily enjoying it. 
while you have it. I'm not great at meditation or any of that. And I know it's so good and it works for so many people, but I am not great at it. And I am, you can hear, I talk quite fast. I move quite fast. I'm quite on and I struggle to do the sitting with, with much, but I know how helpful it is. So honestly, that first coffee of the day, I try and take it as almost a little moment of meditation that I'm not multitasking. I'm just tasting it and smelling it and feeling the warmth of the cup in my hands. And that is just a moment of sheer beauty. And it's a moment of joy every day that I do not take for granted that just feels really great. And whatever happens after that in the day, it's fine. Scandinavia is quite big on culture vitamins, they call it, but kind of arts on prescription, which all sounds quite airy-fairy and a nice to have. But actually, there's research going back decades now to show how helpful that can be. Like brain scans show that when we read, we are mentally rehearsing the activities and sights and sounds of a story. It improves empathy. Mm. Um, Sad or scary stories can boost uh, oxytocin and even trigger endorphins. The next thing that, I mean, there are, there are the practical things like having lots of vitamin D when it's so dark and having a light lamp and eating a fair bit of mackerel. But also <laughs> for me, what I found that all of the people I spoke to who managed to be sad well, all tended to do something for someone else as well. This idea that if you just do you, the chances are you'll still be sad. And that actually, if you kind of go a bit more outward looking, even the idea of like warm glow giving, we see in MRI scans that the brain lights up with the pleasure of doing good. We are meant to help each other just as we're meant to be social creatures. So I think, you know, donating to charity, volunteering, anything that we can do where we are looking beyond ourselves and doing something, we're going to feel better. And I think that was really helpful in winter as well. And there is that inclination to hibernate for many of us. There's also, it's been rather commercialised in the last few years, but the Danish idea of hygge, this idea of taking pleasure from the presence of gentle, soothing things, is really helpful when it comes to winter because it is about togetherness. It's not about buying fancy candles. It's about chucking out a few tea lights so that the lighting is low, everybody feels convivial. You are spending time with people you care about. You're being really present. You are not punishing or denying yourselves anything so you're probably having like a nice cup of coffee maybe a cake and it's not about hiding from the problems of the world it's about restoring yourself so you're ready to get out there and contribute to society between dr deepika's tadalist and helen's revamped morning meditation i have two solid things that i'm definitely adding to my happiness toolkit spending more time focusing on what i have accomplished than obsessing over the laundry list of things that need to be done and finding comfort in even just the first action of my morning and identifying all the sensations that come with easing into the day. But how do we remain resilient with all that life throws and continues to throw at us? I find it truly remarkable that we're able to remain optimistic through all the trials and tribulations. You learn that as human beings, we have been through a lot and we are still here and that life is better than it has been for many of our ancestors and you can see the lessons of history and some of them that we just don't learn and we make again we haven't always had this obsession with happiness that we do now we have this obsession with happiness because culture has sold it to us since the 1970s and that means that we have the opportunity to change the way we feel about that within a relatively short space of time in a way that would serve all of us better so that's what i'm hopeful for I think the true key here is in order to increase and cultivate more happiness, it's about living a life that's a lot more authentic and increasing your self-compassion and really getting to know all the different parts of you, the 
flaws, your strengths, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, and to know and normalize that you will, I am sorry to be the bearer of this news, but you will experience negative emotion and it doesn't have to be quote unquote negative. The biggest and most significant, meaningful and potent form of increasing optimism is resiliency. It's based on knowing that you can overcome what's in front of you. It's about seeing the struggle and the roadblocks and the setbacks. And even if you don't know how or when, but you know that you will overcome it based on your resiliency from past experience. And so I think that is really the key. And that's what keeps us going. On today's show, you heard from Dr. Deepika Chopra and Helen Russell. This episode was produced by Ella Dove, Kate Spees, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolf.